1993, Final Approach changed the way we hunt waterfowl. Now, over 25 years later, we're back at it. My name's Mario, host of the FA Podcast. Let's talk waterfowl tips, tricks, tactics, and more. It's all going down right here with the Final Approach Podcast. The next evolution, the next step in the history of Final Approach, if you want to call it that, or, you know, what, whatever, if you've been following along, we're, we're on to a, a, a piece of the puzzle uh, that, you know, not many people know. And I'm not saying they don't know you, Duke, but you've been, you've done a lot of stuff that not a lot of folks have, you know, have, have been taught, have learned part of waterfowl history, the whole deal, unless you're out here by me and in the West. So we're talking to Duke LeVan, who's up in Washington. Duke, have you been in Washington the whole time or were you any other places? Well, you know, when, when I was a young buck, my dad was in the Navy. So we moved around. Ah. I mean, I've lived in California, Hawaii, and, um, but most of my life I've been up here in Washington and definitely, um, you know, ever since my hunting career started at 12 years old, um, I've been in the state of Washington. Yeah. I mean, so, and so how do you and Ron meet? How does that, like, do you meet Ron first? Do you meet somebody else? Like, how does that go down? Well, I tell you, I, uh, I met Ron the first time I ever talked to Ron. I met him at the Kingdom Sports Show in Seattle, Washington. <laughs> and he was, uh, I mean, that got it. You know, I was thinking about that today, oh, how, yeah. how long ago that was. A um, couple years. But any, yeah, and, and, and at that time, you know, Ron, as you know, Ron came out with a slider blind was the first thing he came out with. And, um, you know, me being an avid waterfowl hunter, um, walking through the sports show, I saw that thing and I thought, man, that's a great idea. Because back then, right. you know, we were all either hunting edges or we yep. were digging pits. Oh. And, you know, and a lot of farmers did not like you digging pits but, no and, um, no and if anybody knows the 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 weather out this way oregon and washington i mean you're talking about the most rainfall uh in the states that you could possibly get so if you dig a pit you're pretty much just digging your own swimming pool and <laughs> yeah i mean a fishing pond <laughs> yeah i mean it, it, and you and just like you said the farmers are are not Listen, the farmers don't want you digging in anything out this way. They don't even want you driving in the field when it's wet or even close to it because you're just going to make ruts, bury it, like you're just going to ruin it. Mm-hmm. So, so yes, we have been, you know, stuck with walking in, uh, pushing a cart in, like any other means other than driving. Okay, so go ahead. Yeah, and, uh, um, yeah, correct. I agree with all that. And then, um, and, and, you know, and. I always hunted a lot in eastern Washington also. Right where it's dry. And, uh, but, you know, same thing. The farmers over there didn't like you. Dig- and I didn't like digging pits. I no. mean, Christ, if you've ever dug a pit, you'd know why. And especially, you know, sometimes <laughs> you're out there and it's 10 degrees and oh and you're God. doing it in the pitch dark the night before the hunt. And, yeah. Um, but anyway, so I'm going through the sports show. I see the slider blind and I thought, man, that thing looks pretty cool. Went over and struck up a conversation with Ron and... Um, and you know we shook hands and i said cool and then ended up me and a buddy that lived in moses lake um 
bought six of those slider blinds. Oh, my God. Which um, I still have four of them today. Oh, my God. I, and, I, I don't know if anybody ha- that I've talked to, I don't. I know one guy called me or sent me an email and said that he had one of, like, Ron's, like, original, like, the original Eliminator, like, the first version. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, there's a lot of those. But and I, but slider blinds, like, I don't know if anybody has any other than you that I know of. You know, I know one other fellow, and that's Tony Burnson over there at Eagle Lake. Oh, okay. He, uh, Tony's got he, some. He's got some, yeah. Uh, and, um and, you know, of course, him and Ron go way back. Oh, yeah. Like Ron worked for Eagle Lakes for, God, I think, I mean, if I if I remember right, I think he worked there for 26 years oh, guiding duck hunting. And, um, but, yeah, so it's pretty cool. I, I mean, they're really neat blind for all you people that don't know what a slider blind is. Um, you know, it's made out of these really cool aluminum extrusions. And, and instead of the doors, you know, flapping two doors opening up to the sides the slider blind had a solid door that you just pushed forward and i'll tell you something that was really cool about those slider blinds is if you had a flock of geese land in your decoys you know when you throw open those eliminator doors you know you stick the birds and they fly and there was so many times (laughs) that we let geese fly and you just slid that door quietly forward and they and the geese would still be standing I mean, I used to do that and take photos and stuff, you know, because they, they wouldn't be spooked. They wouldn't hear it. Right. And, um, right. They wouldn't see know, all the was, commotion. Right. Was, yeah, it was just a really cool blind. Yeah. Um, something else we used to do with those slider blinds, they had four folding legs on them, you know, one on each corner. Okay. And um, you could fold the legs down. And what we used to do in fields that didn't have a lot of cover is we would dig a shallow, about a foot deep coffin um, pit. And you could fold those legs down and then just let that slider blind sit on top of the dirt. Oh. And it would put you a foot lower, you know, oh, yeah. uh, in the field, which really was nice. So, you know, you were just barely above, uh, you know, above ground with right. it that way. And, and uh, so they, they're really efficient blind that way. So, so when you, when you get, when you get the slider blind, are you, cause you're a machinist by trade, correct? Correct. Yes, sir. So you're, so you, and, and you're a, a diehard crazy waterfowler. So if, if anybody <laughs> has any ingenuity, engineering, just monster garage in their head, like you start looking at it, do you start looking at this slider blind and go, I think I could make something better or do you. Do you tell Ron, hey, maybe you should try? Like, do you get into it at all? Is that where that where you get in? Well, you know, actually, in that, so what? So yeah, so we, you know, I originally met him at the sports show, like I said, and then and then uh, me and my my hunting partner at the time purchased several of them, and then one day I called up and I wanted to, you know, because you could do the same thing, you could get snow covers for them, right. And stuff like that. So I called up. I mean, I had like three different camos and snow covers for these slider <laughs> blinds. And we were talking on the phone one day, and it was, you know, very early in the company um, um, history there. And, you right. know, Ron just started asking me questions like, oh, are you having very good luck in them blinds? And and I was telling him, I said, yeah, I'm having fantastic luck in them, and I really like them. And, 
And it was a little bit um, before the early goose season up here in Washington, and which is in September. Right. And um, anyway, he asked at that time he wanted to start getting some video and, you know, stuff to promote his blinds. And he asked if he could come up and hunt with me during that early goose hunt, which um, I said, yeah, no problem. Come on up. And he came up and stayed with me for a week. And we just, God, we just had some fantastic hunts. And, um, and you know, and then we realized that, you know, we kind of had a lot of the same hunting styles. That, right. You know, we like to hunt the same way. So Yeah, you just uh, hit it off. You became so best we, friends that quick. We, correct. We <laughs> became friends. And then the cool thing, I mean, for me, was at the end of that week, he told me that he was going to Alberta, Canada in two weeks, and he wanted to know if I'd like to go along, and um, which, you know, I would have said no problem then, but then he told me, he said, uh, meeting Hunter Grounds and Tim Grounds up there. And, <laughs> I mean, at the, that Tim Grounds had been my hero forever, you know, um, so you prior can say, to that. So God, you can say yes fast enough. Oh my God. Yeah. I just couldn't, couldn't wait to get up there and do that. So, um, so yeah. And then, and then so, you know, so another did you guys... thing I really like to do photography yeah. and, and Ron, you know, really liked that because I took a lot of pictures of the, you know, the hunts and the blinds and all that stuff. So, so everything just kind of worked out together. We got along good. We hunted the same, the same way and, um, you know, and just had the same love for the sport. So, I mean, so did, did you then have any, you know, cause, cause of your machining stuff, did Ron have it all dialed in when he gets to the eliminator blind or, you know, do you give him a hand or do anything on, on that frame style and that, you know, you know, actually Ron, um, Ron did a, an awful lot of that, um, stuff on the eliminator blinds, but I mean, the, the you know, the bigger influence on Ron with that eliminator blind was Willie from Willie Boats. Yes. Um, he, he was, those two were really good friends for years and years, you know, all the way up to when Willie passed away. Right. And, um, you can see, um, you know, by the fittings and everything on those early eliminator blinds, you know, where you could see the boat cover well, and influence there was, on them. Right. And, and the boat parts, like the, the, the top parts, the boat top parts, right. Correct. Right. Correct. And, um, but, um, you know, every time we hunted together a lot, we traveled all over the place, you know, I mean, God, when oh we, God. Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, you know, I mean, we went to Texas and, <laughs> um, you know, every, I mean, we went all over the place and, um, you know, and every time and all, you know, all the time we were hunting, we were always looking at stuff and, trying to think about things that we could improve right. and stuff you know one thing one improvement was um <laughs> you know ron was telling me about how many uh bent tubes oh that my people God, would yeah. call up and have to Ugh. you know buy new ones and i came up with those fittings you know the brace that went yes. in there um that would snap in there and yep. then you could just you know you could grab onto them and pull yourself up out of the blind and and um and we you know we totally we so so i i don't i don't know if i i don't know where they sell i don't know if they were selling those or i they weren't selling them anymore and i saw them 
at the, the Waterfowl Festival out here in Oregon, and or I saw somebody's, and I was like, so I just made my own. And yeah, you know, and, and that's how, you know, I came up with it with, um, to be honest with you, we were working on a, um, we were working on a chair blind. Gotcha. And a folding chair, and, and I was trying to figure out, so Ron calls me up and he said, hey, you got to come up with a frame that'll go on a chair that we can fold up, and so I started looking at the project, and and I went and bought some tea fittings, you know, waterline tea fittings That's at right. Home Depot. Yep. And being a machinist, I took them to work and I milled out, you know, the center section of that yep. tea fitting so it would snap onto a three-quarter inch aluminum tube. Yep. And that's how those fittings came about. And, you know, then Ron had, uh, you know, had China over there make up the molds and everything. And, God, I wish I had a five-gallon bucket of those things because oh. you can really do a lot of cool stuff with those with a key fitting like that that you know snaps onto the tubing. Well, so so now fast forward, you know, f- almost thirty years, right? And, yeah, yeah, I think God, and, you know, early nineties. Yeah, something like that. Exactly. I believe, exactly. If I remember right? Yeah. So yeah. so those fittings that that you had and you guys came up and and they just kind of disappeared so when we when we go last year or two years ago coming into last year you know we're going to make a new blind you know the first thing i'm thinking of two things i'm thinking of number one the eliminator was without a doubt i know it was the first but i i really do think it was the best because uh, there was so many great features on it. The only minus yeah. was exactly what you're talking about. The guys got up on the side and bent the bars. So, yeah, yeah. and then if you had bent bars, you couldn't, you couldn't pop the, uh, the little then push pins collapse, right? Then it wouldn't collapse. Right. So, so we go to the drawing board and I start thinking and I go, okay, I want the eliminator size. So we get that. Then I go, okay, I'm not going to do a foot. Um, a foot bar on the bottom so then you could fold it up in half so then you could be really mobile and then get it and it'll take up less space and then I'm thinking I'm going to put the support bars on and then I'm going to put because I had broken uh, when you know and and we, we talk about this with everybody that's been in this series you know there was that section of you know, manufacturing that they went to a, a different factory and the aluminum was substandard and a lot of those blinds were breaking. And where they would break, like the the, the SUB blind and some of the uh, ProGuide XLs were breaking right behind the headrest because that that piece was bent a little and then when you would lay back and all your pressure would go on it, it would just snap in half because it couldn't take, that was the pressure point. So, yeah, and, the, and I imagine the, um, you know, the aluminum was probably stressed from being bent right. and stuff. That's if, you, if, exactly if you don't have right. the right heat treat on it, that's and right. Stuff, you know, that that can happen. That's right. You know more than me on that. So, so I wanted to clear up two things, and that was, uh, put a brace behind the headrest, and then put the two braces on the side of the frame, and be able to snap that backrest out and snap the two sides down and it would collapse fully and you would have no problems. So we're in the development stage of that and we're going through it and I go, well, I get the biggest guy I can that's in my hunting group and I go, all right, stand on it. Let's see if it's going to take it, you know, and 
he's 300 and we're standing on the sides holding him get him up there and stand on it and it and it holds and i go that's it we're we're done so then that's where so that's where the knockout comes from but but those things that are in that blind like you said go back 30 years and we got away from it but that was the ultimate you know what i mean those were all the pieces i I agree with you 100 percent. that uh that first blind you know, and, and I shouldn't say the first blind because it got, sure. you know, it got tweaked over the years and Correct. everything. And um, the one but, that was finished uh, and perfect, it, it was that it, rendition, it, right? It it was yeah, right. It was fantastic blind, and and I mean, being a tool and die maker, I mean, I'm pretty critical looking at stuff like that. And God, I just you know, I looked at the other stuff because you know, in the beginning. Ron was the only show in town. Yes. And then, and then slowly, you know, for several years, he was the only show in town. And then slowly, you know, other people started coming out with blinds and stuff. And I mean, some of them had steel tubing and it was heavy and clunky. And, oh yeah. I mean, I just, um, I mean, I just never saw anything that compared with the, with the, the you know, original eliminator. I agree. Hands down. There was, you know, there was nothing now. Now I did tell Ron and, he was out of the company at that point. You know, there was a section in time where I said where the, the aluminum was inferior. And, you know, coming coming through and knowing Ron and, and you know, starting my outdoor industry career, you know, as a staffer at Final Approach. I mean, that's, that's when I started really and going through that time. Like, when I had to buy another blind because those blinds were bad, like, I felt horrible. Like, I felt that was just... <laughs> <laughs> dishonorable do you know what i mean yeah but yep, but they yep. kept breaking um, it was shit yeah i don't think i've ever bought another blind until uh just recently this yeah last year there you go i bought i bought some panel blinds oh yeah and, and i'll tell you what here's the deal you know that was one blind that i told ron you know early in the years i said you know i and i was always making blinds you know for myself before i ever met ron right right and one blind that I did, I used to hunt the Columbia, well, I shouldn't say used to, I still do, but I used to hunt the Ringgold area on the Columbia River. And, of course, that's, um, you know, the water level is controlled by dams there. And, so you know, you'd be hunt, you hunt one day and you show up the next day and the water might be 20 yards further out in front of you. So right. I wanted to come up with a blind that you could move easily and... And I made one way back when, you know, way before I met Ron. And I told him, I said, God, you know, we need to come up with a panel blind. And and that's when he came up with the, I think he called it the standalone blind. It was four panels that folded up. Yep. And I still got, I think, three or four (laughs) of those today. And I I shoot um, doves out of them. I've killed a lot of turkeys out of them. Um, And, you know, I mean, I don't even know the number of ducks and geese I've killed out of them. But, you know, and that was... That was one of the things when Final Approach got sold and corporate yep. America That's came right. into the picture. That was one of the first things he got rid of, and I just yep. cringe. You know, I said, "God, that's such a versatile blind," and I just could not believe that they got rid of that. Well, and if and if you look at those, um, 
I can't think of the name of it right now, but the the dog blinds that they use in the hunt tests and stuff like that, that was that exact design almost. Because, but they use it at the dog trials and everything as just a screen in the front. You know what I mean? But yeah. That, but that's the exact same thing that you guys made, you know, like I said, 25-plus years ago, and here it comes back around. Well, that, you know. You know, sorry to interrupt. <laughs> no, you you're fine, there, Mario. But I'll tell you what. Um, you know, that's a blind I was using back in the um, in the late '70s. Oh my God! And and now, I mean, it's just starting now. You know, a lot of companies are coming out with oh. those blinds now. I think there's uh, no doubt. Everybody's got one. Yeah, they're kind of moving away from the layout blinds yep. and stuff and getting into the edges and and well, uh, you know, as you know, being in the business, a lot of guys are coming up with them blinds now well and 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 listen you know because you've hunted long enough that that listen you got to have a lot of tricks in your bag the birds are going to get hip to layout blinds they're going to get hip to a stand-up blind like if you keep feeding them the same thing you know you keep putting out the same spread you keep you know anything like that repetition is what kills a waterfowl hunter you know, yeah, the you're same right. Red you're right repetition. about that. And I, I tell you, when I, you know, talk to young bucks that ask questions and stuff, I tell them the more tricks you right. got in your bag, the better you're going to be. You, I, I 100% agree. And and I do tell them the same thing, Duke. As soon as I tell them that, you know, you got to listen to all these old heads, I'm telling you. So, so when we say all that, the other thing I say right after that is, listen, if you could kill them, without pulling any tricks out do it because that means that's another day and another trick you have to pull out because if you waste a trick and you don't need it you you wasted it you know what i mean exactly. keep them in your bag you know, till you need it and you know you know what i really um really have learned over you know 50 some years of waterfowl hunting is so many people are looking for um you know one thing that's, you know, that, that I think a lot of these guys think, well, first, when you're, when you're, you know, young into your waterfowl career, right. I think the mentality is the more decoys I got, the better I'm going to do. And that can't be farther from the truth. And, you know, everybody's looking for one thing that's going to work every day they go out there hunting. And the, the truth of the matter is there isn't one thing that's going to work every day um, out there in the field because, you know, the birds are pressured more yep. and certain places and um you know it all depends on the birds you're hunting how how much have they been shot at um you know it, i mean god over there in in eastern washington oh, like god. in the tri-cities area you know, all the guides that. that are over there now <laughs> those are smart birds you're hunting over there man <laughs> i i was just gonna say that because i was just gonna say um mike franklin who's at pacific wings and i guided yeah. for mike and i learned mike is just like everybody looks at mike like just this old school guy and i you know he's a big guy big beard like everybody's like yeah he's you a, know he's a smart waterfowl oh my god hunter, bro probably probably one of the smartest waterfowlers i i have met he he is absolutely in my top 10 there's no doubt about it so one day i agree one day i'm running geese up there and, you know, I'm, I mean, I get my ass kicked, right? Or I'm, I should say I'm getting my ass kicked. And I call him on the phone and I'm in the layout 
and I'm trying to talk to him and I'm like, listen, I did exactly what, what, what the geese were looking like in here. And I said, I'm getting my ass kicked. And he, you know, he's with that big laugh, like Santa Claus. (laughs) He's He's like, okay, here's what you do. And, and I tell him what, what's happening. I said, I said, I'm trying to finish the birds and they won't finish. And he said, how far are the decoys? And I said, they're about 35. And, and he said, okay. He said, what do they do? And I said, well, I said, well, shit, they're coming in and they give me a circle and they stay outside and they swing once or twice and they go. And he goes, he goes, push them out to 50. And I'm like, what? And he goes, push the decoys out to about 50, 55. And I said, okay. He said, so take your front ones and put them on the back. I said, okay. And he goes, he goes, then he goes, what they're going to do is they're going to come in, they're going to look, and they're going to swing right in front of you. And he goes, that's when you got to shoot them. And I go, okay. I said, so we're not finishing. He goes, nope, we're killing today. And I go, okay. So I hurry up and get the guys, move the decoys out. Next group that comes out, like sure as shit, they make one swing real high. They come down another swing. The third swing they get really low on the corner and they come right in front of us as they're looking the decoys because they're looking for the boogeyman in the middle of the decoys, right? They're not paying attention to the edge and we're we're shooting them at 25 and we just yeah. start racking them up. And I get back with the guys and we, we shoot our limits and I get back, you know, so of course, you know, now I look like a star, but I really, I'm not the star. It's Mike, right? I get back. <laughs> yeah, and but I, you put that in your back pocket. That's, that's, uh, that's right. That's something you'll never forget. That's and, right. Um, and, and you know, guess, I, I think that's another thing that, that young waterfowlers do. You know, they'll go out and they'll set their decoys up, and they'll sit there and they'll watch flock after flock right. after flock do the same right. thing. Well, if it's not working, change it. That's I right. Mean, you know, I mean, what are you going to screw up? Your hunt's already not going right. So get out there, move the decoys, and that's how you learn, and that's how you get better. There's no doubt. Mike said, so I get back to the, I get back to the shop there or whatever, get back to the thing, we all meet up, and I said, I said, I said, you, you saved me on that deal. You saved that, honey. He said, listen, he says, as soon as you think you got them figured out, <laughs> they do something like that. He said, so you just got to be ready. He said, he said, so you take that and you watch what they do and you adjust as you go. So exactly what you're talking about, you know, don't wait till, you know, don't wait till it's 11 o'clock and the hunt's over. Like, you know, make a move. And I, you know what? I've absolutely you know, everything I've learned on the way I've stuck in my pocket, there's no doubt because you never know when you're going to run into the same thing or whatever else down the road. So it's just it, it truly is the years that you put in and the things that go wrong end up turning into wisdom and knowledge, you know, for down the road. There's just no doubt about it. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think that's what I really love about the sport. You know, I've been doing it, God, I don't know, 52, 53 years, something like that. And I still am learning. Right. And I mean, that is, you know, that keeps me getting up every morning and going out there. And uh, and I just love it. I mean, I still get as excited as when I was 12 years old. So let me ask you this. I I know you have a million grounds stories. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Some some you probably can't talk about over the (laughs) over the. The TV or but radio I do, or <laughs> but maybe maybe so think so think about one or two as as we're talking. But I, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you this though: grounds, 
I talked about this uh, on on another episode. Gr- like I worked for Buck Gardner, and when when we would go and hunt, there is without a doubt, Buck was one of the best duck callers in a hunting situation that I I had ever hunted with. He was a flat killer. He'd put the ducks exactly where he needed to to kill them. You know what I mean? He was yeah. that he was that good and I got to think I got to think grounds was that way because you know, listen, you, you, I watched all the videos, you know, when I was a kid, you know, coming through like all the videos, all the stuff you know, and then it goes to YouTube and social media and whatever and, and TV shows and all that crap. But the early videos and grounds on a call was just magic. Unbelievable. You know, I mean, I, I've I've been lucky enough to be around a lot of, you know, world champion callers. Yep. And, you know, and and a lot of that, um, you know, I owned I owed a Ron and 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 Tim Grounds, too. You know, he got me involved in a lot of um you know i did a lot of judging calling contests and stuff and and that was tim was the one that got me into that right got me into different places and and uh but man i'll tell you what that guy was unreal on a both a duck and goose call yeah and um you know i I honestly think hunter's even better (laughs) i mean that kid the first time i hunted with that kid i think he was 11 or 12 (laughs) years old and i mean he was phenomenal then that's insane you know what i mean it was insane yeah he grew he just grew up with a goose call in his mouth you know what i mean well Gotti. um i mean you know he uh you know obviously has the talent but i mean he he lived with the best teacher on on the planet I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, you know, as far as as far as icons in the industry, uh, teachers, uh, you know, guys you looked up to, you know, for you know for the the stewardship of the sport, the the you know everything about it, the teaching. Tim was without a doubt at the top there. He was like, you know, he was like your your grandpa that you wanted to talk to all the time and sit on the porch on some, you know, squeaky uh, rocking chair and, and just listen to stories. You know what I mean? You could listen to well, grounds you know, talk and, all the time. I think I think part of, not, you know, I mean, the guy was unbelievable and everything, but something I learned about Tim over the years was um, his willingness to help people. Oh, yeah. I mean, you you could call that guy up. And, you know, it might be 10 o'clock back there his time, but he'd sit there and talk to you and help you and, you know, and school you on what you needed to do. And, um, you know, I mean, I think that uh, that really set him apart from a lot of other people, too. When I rem- I'll never forget this when. Um, so so Tim buys some Columbia River decoys from Don Guthrie. And, yeah. and then and then Don gets backed up and Don and I meet and Don and I go through this whole thing and I, I I'm going to help Don with decoys. I'm going to help make decoys for him to get him out of this hole. So I learn the craft and I'm in the shop and I quit my other job and I get going on Columbia River decoys. And out of the blue, you know, I get a call from Illinois and I answer the phone and it's and it's Tim Grounds, right? Yeah, and I had not met Tim, hadn't talked to him. Obviously, I know who Tim is, right? Yeah. So he says, you know, he gets on the phone. 
He goes, this Mario? I go, yep. Hey, bub. It's Crowns. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, Tim? And he's yeah, like, I can, I can yeah. hear his voice right That's now. That's what I'm saying. He goes, he goes, hey, bub, I need some more decoys. Can you make me some? And I go, yeah, what do you need? He goes, hey, Bob, I want, I want some, I want some mallards. And I said, <laughs> I said, I think I made him some black ducks too at the time. I wasn't making them, but I told him I'd make him a couple or something. Oh yeah, Bob. And and you know, and time goes by, and I ship him the decoys, and you know, he sends the money, and I just ship them over there. I didn't, I didn't even wait for the money from him. I just sent them, and you know, the money comes, and and I don't know if it's you know, a year or two later, or I meet him at the Waterfowl Festival, and it's like, it's like we're just, you know, I, I couldn't believe, I was blown away, and any time I had seen Tim, he would go out of his way to come see me, and I, I was on cloud nine, you know what I mean? Like, I'm a yeah, young kid. I, I agree, I mean, that's one, I oh. think... You know, that guy always made me feel like a million bucks. Yeah. I mean, he yeah. really did. I, He was, uh, God, I mean, I, you know, I almost hate to say, you know, you always hear people say, God, that guy was one of a kind. There's no I'm doubt. I'm telling you what, that guy was one of a kind. There is, there is no doubt. I have, you know, I could count on my hand the guys that are similar to Tim, not, not like Tim, but similar to Tim that I have met. And I'll tell you what, he was just, you know, I mean, I mean, shit, you just go, I just go up to him and give him a big hug. You know what I mean? And just, man, I, ha you know, I just, yeah, I miss the shit out of him. I, I know everybody does. I got, uh, I mean, I got tears in my eyes talking about him right now. He I, was, uh, um, you know, I talked to him, uh, oh boy. I talked to him the night that he passed away. Oh God. He uh, called me, and I talked to him, and I woke up in the morning. I seen there was a message uh, from his mom, and I, you know, listened to the voicemail, and she told me that he passed away, and I thought, I was just so confused, you know. I, I go, uh, yeah, you just I talked to him. I talked to him last night. And anyway, it was, it was real. Well, I mean, uh, you know. The... Yeah, I miss, I miss the man Ugh. a lot. You know the thing. The thing about that is, uh, you know, you you got to look back at all all the special time that you had to spend with him because he listen. He was a complete pisser all the time. You know what I mean? That I mean. Oh, shit! Our hunts, man. Our hunts were nothing but laughing and fun, laughing and fun. <laughs> That's what you I'm know? saying. Like, they, there's just nobody like. You know, you can have the shittiest hunt, and he's still having the best time of his life. And, yeah, he gets serious at times when he needed to. You know what I mean? But yeah, as yeah. far as everything else, oh, my God. And and he, I don't know, like you said. You got to get you some. That's right. Get you some. And listen, you know, you know, here's the other thing about Tim. You know, everybody was like, you know, you know, Tim's. You know the, you know this incredible goose collar and this and that. But listen, don't, don't think for a second that Tim Tim didn't have a great business mind. And what I mean by oh, that, Jesus, I agree. Is yeah. is, you know, he was one of the first guys to really, you know, market like 
even if it was a t-shirt or something like he was the first one to like put some stuff on a t-shirt that you're like oh my god i gotta have that you know what i mean i i think the guy was a genius i mean god what he did with that company (laughs) you know it was unbelievable i mean who who thought you know look at look at the call business nowadays i know would you think that the you know the the market would support the number of call makers that are out there i would have never guessed it well but, uh you know it, tim grounds definitely was you know the guy that opened the door for a lot of people there's there's no doubt and and you know what if you were if you were a call maker at the time and you needed help and you 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 called tim he would help you i mean that's insane but he yeah. would yeah i mean look, i mean a perfect <laughs> example of that is you know um when you'd call Tim Grounds up, you know, and talk to him about calls and stuff, and he carried J.J. Lair calls. Yep. You know, and I asked him that one time, Tim, <laughs> why would you carry somebody else's calls? And he says, God, it's a fantastic call. Why wouldn't I? You know, I mean, right. I'm glad to, you know, to carry that call. And he really, really liked that call a lot and thought a lot of it. And that was the kind of guy he was. I don't think too many other people would do that. No, he was he was he was all about the tradition and the sport and stuff like that and just making money to to get by and and buy the things that he needed and survive and the whole deal and make a couple bucks like that was him. Like he was all about and 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 you know, a lot of it has gotten watered down a little bit in the call market because I always look back and and look at it now and I used to tell people and this was 5 10 years ago. I said, "Listen, you have call makers okay and what i mean by that is grounds foils zinc buck gardner sean mann uh rick dunn from echo and and i might be you know forgetting a few but those were call uh, i'm sorry butch at rnt so you had call you had call makers and then everybody started coming out and being a call manufacturer. And what I mean by that is, and listen, it, it's, it is what it is. I'm not, I'm not saying it's wrong or anything like that. But if you take a zinc call and measure it and make your barrel the same size inside and the same length, and then you just put another design on it, and then you buy your guts from somebody else, like you're not a call maker. And that's okay. That's okay. But just understand the difference. When I say a call maker is you have designed all your own diameters, your lengths, everything that has to go in, the bore design, your guts, like everything. You have have an original design. That's right. That's right. And I'm forgetting Saunders. I'm forgetting Bill in that deal as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, He was early in there. And, you know, I'll tell you what, and, uh, you know, I've been friends with Bill for a lot of years, and I don't think uh, he'd be pissed at me saying this. And, and uh, you know, he learned so much from Tim, and that's yeah. what got him started in the call business. Yeah. I mean, I remember when I met Bill Saunders years ago. Um, you know, he was blowing grounds calls. That's and right. God, he was unbelievable. You yep. know, I just I thought, Jesus, that kid can blow a call. Well, and um, so anyway, yeah, you know, I mean— I mean, look, who look wasn't? At the, look at the, um, you know, where he's at nowadays right, too. I right. mean, he's done great. Well, back then, who who at one point did not blow a grounds? You had <laughs> Fred Fred yeah. blew grounds. Yeah. Sean Stahl blew a grounds. Uh, 
did did foils blow a grounds or no? You did know, he, I think he did. Early, I think he did when he uh, started. Foils. I remember Tim telling me when foils used to stay um, at his house. You know, and and they would right. hunt together and work together and right. everything. So um, so yeah, I'm pretty sure that foils did blow I mean, grounds calls. You, you know, you had, early in the beginning. You had Kelly Powers. He blew yeah. grounds on the yep, goose call yep. side. Um, and I'm trying to think if there was anybody else, but I mean, you know, you, you talk about, you know, and listen, these were all the guys that were winning all the contests and ripping the contest circuit. And then they, you know, they all figure it out and say, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to go do it myself. And listen, there, there's nothing wrong with that because listen, Tim would be the first one to tell you about the Hess brothers and him learning all that he stuff did, from all gives, the Hess brothers he, and Charlie and he, everybody. He, he totally gives them all the credit, right. you know? Right. He, uh, that short read goose call, he totally gives those guys yep. all the credit. And, yep. um, but yeah, you know, it's funny back, you know, in my early part of my goose hunting career, I was blowing a big river goose flute. Right. And then, uh, you know, the first time I ever saw a custom <clears throat> call, it was, uh, Ed Bodsford. Oh yeah. Um, you know, from Eastern Washington. That's right. And that was the first custom goose call i ever saw oh and i started blowing his and then i started seeing tim grounds videos and that <laughs> holy crap that's that that guy is the videos the goose hunting world <laughs> listen the the videos pushed it and and ron and i talked about that like the videos listen every every generation you know it always has a medium you know that was a big deal for us you know coming through at that time it was it was vhs tapes it was videos so and Ron, Ron talked about it. I said, listen, you know, those those tapes, you know, like I, I look back at Full Moon Fever and I think that was probably like the best video that I had seen. And and I think it still ranks up there because just just the amount of birds in your face and grounds you got grounds calling saunders calling ron calling Corey hamrick was there i mean i mean you're looking at the guys and Corey goes on to do hardcore decoys i mean you're you're looking at you know just a bunch of of serious guys at that point yeah you know what i mean i agree with you that was god i think a lot of people always bring that video up as being one of the best ever you know and listen if 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 there's young kids listening like if you it, you know, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if anybody has put it on, you know, YouTube or somewhere like that. I still have the VHS tapes, and I'd have to find a VCR to play it. But I'll tell you what, like it would still be relevant today because the calling, you know, they were talking about where they're putting their decoys, how they're hiding the blinds. I mean, it was the first real push of showing you how to do it and and be successful and they weren't hiding anything they were just flat out showing you this is what we're doing and it's working you know what i mean yeah 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 that you know that was such a fun time back then i mean god dang think about the stuff you know and i mean all everything that was going on you know everybody kind of it was like one big family back then you know doing the waterfowl festivals and everything and yeah and uh you know foils and zinc and grounds and god we all you know, we're always getting together and, and uh, doing different different things at different states. And, I mean, it was uh, it was an awesome time. And everybody was developing new things. I mean, you know, look, I, 
Perry Northhouse. He's the I, guy that came out with flocking. Oh, my God. I you talked know? about that, that with probably, Ron. There's only a handful of us that probably realize that, but I'll I never know. forget it when, you know, he called me up and he said, yeah, I'm doing this flocking stuff. I mean, he had a different name for it. But. Yeah, it was Black. <laughs> well, it, at the, the company was called Black Widow Decoy Black Flocking, Widow, remember? Exactly. And, and yeah. I was like, because Ron and I talked about it. So, so we talked about and I talked about it with Dave Smith as well. So you talk about uh, items at the time, or I should say, like, companies at the time, right? When Final Approach comes out and it starts catching on, then I, I, I know it was out here, but it was other places. You know, then you have Columbia River decoys. You have Dave Smith decoys. You have hardcore decoys. Bill Saunders starts doing calls, you know, uh everything starts black widow decoy flock like mallard marine you know what i mean and david boys and that like all of a sudden you know it brings all these other incredible brands out to the surface and i'm sure yeah i mean just think think about if we had all that stuff you know i always think about that you know i mean think about when the first spinning wing decoy came out we i talked about oh my god i mean holy cow think if we had that back in the 70s you know it would be just murder is what it would be you know what i mean it wouldn't even be fair because when by the time it came out it wasn't fair then it would have been worse you know what i mean it was just it was bad (laughs) i remember ron called me he was over in idaho and i think he was hunting with Corey over there and um and he told me he says he says you ain't gonna believe this duke i'm sitting there and he wasn't even out in the field when he was parked (laughs) off to the side and he was watching this and they were in a corn stubble field and he said I'm watching flock after flock after flock come into these guys. I mean, feet down right in front of their face. Right. They got this electric spinning wing, and I'm going, there's no friggin' way. you got to be kidding I know. me. <laughs> I know. And, man, I had no idea, you know, what what um, that was going to be like. But, holy crap, it's, yeah, like it's almost unfair back then yes. in, the, yes. in the beginning. Everybody, everybody had or has a story of the first time they witnessed the the spinner phenomenon. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. Never forget it. Like, I know where I was and what I did and what I saw, and I was the same way. I was like, I was like, what are you talking about? No way. And then, man, it was like, it was lights out. So, yeah. Crazy. And, you know, and, and, and we talk about those items, and, and you got to look at them and you go, okay, and this is something I'm asking everybody on the on this on the episodes and stuff. What what are your like top items that you think changed the waterfowl game? Well, I think that spinning wing yep. has definitely got to be one of them. Yep. Um, you know, I'm going to say I'm going to say probably the biggest thing that uh helps everybody is movement and there's a lot of different yep. ways to get it you know um god i watch windsock decoys yeah. you know do phenomenal things up you know snow geese can be such a son of a bitch oh yeah hunt. no doubt and and you know i just i've seen them just be stupid when the wind's yep. blowing and those windsock decoys are moving around oh, it mesmerizes um, them randy bart you know yeah. early early yep. in the years with the flag yep for geese i saw a phenomenal thing and i'll tell you what here's another thing back to tim grounds um you know like i said the first time i hunted with him was up there in alberta right and um i thought the guy was nuts (laughs) one of the first days we're up there 
he would stand, he'd get out of the blind and grab his flag and start flapping that flag yep. and running around in the decoys. And I looked at Ron and I thought, man, is this guy all together here? And was but he, holy cow, did it work, you know? Was I mean, he wearing a black hoodie? Yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. He always had a black hoodie on and, and he'd run around in the decoys yep. whipping that flag around. Yep. And, and God, I saw that pole geese, you know, so there's, there's a lot of stuff that a lot of people don't think about doing. Yeah, um, we, we talked you know, about those. We talked after about that. I started doing that in eastern Washington. Yep. Yep. You know, it's uh, it's effective. But I think movement, no matter how you do it, you know, that's one thing when, you know, I bought the Columbia River decoys when Don Guthrie's yep. started that. Yep. And the thing I liked about those, there was no keel hanging down. Yep. And, man, you put them on a pond in a light breeze, and holy cow, they do they moving. look alive, you know? Yeah, I mean, everybody has come up with, you know, everybody has said, you know, the eliminator blind, the flag, the spinner, uh, the flocking, you know, the flocking, um, uh, and and countless other things. You know, I I remember, I remember, you know, before they outlawed all the motion here in Oregon, um, I remember using those Wonder Ducks. Do you remember those with the batteries? Yeah, I do. And I they do, would, yeah. And I think that that company's still around. So they would like kick water and splash water. Splash I thought, it up. Yeah, they had pumps in yep, them. Yep. I thought that was pretty cool. And then if you ever used, uh, what the hell was it called? It was called, um, wow, the Mallard. It was the, it was the one that was the trolling motor hooked up oh yeah they would they'd swim around well this one was the trolling motor in the middle oh, and you would the hit the machine the mallard machine and you would hit the button and that that thing was phenomenal <laughs> oh my god so i remember I, I, my vivid thought and memory of the mallard machine was i'm sitting at the duck club and there's three dogs there and it's just starting to get light and I hit the button of the mallard machine and it goes down and it makes this noise and all the ripples and it sounds like something just landed. And for whatever reason, I look and every dog's head goes up, their ears go up and they look right at it. And I go, oh my God, this thing is deadly. You know what I mean? It was. That was that thing was phenomenal. That thing was great. But, but yeah, you know, I mean, like like you said, I you know, I kind of, um, you know, movement. Yep. I think that was the biggest Agreed. thing in decoys. But, and then and then the reality. I got Dave Smith decoys in my living room for decoration. Right. Right. I mean, for the realism. Sakes. Right. <laughs> You know, yeah. I got my house is full of mounted birds and stuff, and then I got Dave Smith decoys in my living room too, and and um, but yeah, and then I mean, as far as decoys go, you know, the realism of decoys nowadays, the you know, the, the all the different kinds of movement you got, um, the blinds that are available nowadays, oh, unbelievable, but... you know, and then the um, the quality of the calls that are available yes. now. There are so many good callers. God, back in the, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s, if you were a good goose caller, I mean, you, you'd never see a single flyby that you couldn't call right, right. into your face, you know. But yeah. then as callers, you know, with the videos and everything and the good calls coming out, um, there's a lot of good callers out there's there There's a now. ton. There's a ton of good callers. There's no doubt about it. It it. 
it changed. I mean, I mean, just being a good caller changed a lot of stuff because you could have like a, you know, like a shaky decoy setup and have a great caller. And 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 what I mean by that is not necessarily him knowing all the notes and being able to contest call and all that, but being know what to do when. And you could read the birds like, you know, you talk about Ed Botsford and stuff, but the first thing I think of is Steve Schultz over there in eastern Washington. No, Steve, Stevie on a duck call. <laughs> That's what I said, murder. Yeah, unbelievable. Never even seen a contest stage judged, but could care less about that. But you want to kill a duck. That's right. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's your he's well, your think, guy. And that's uh and that's something um you know, that's something that I think a lot of these young guys need to learn is you know, they'll they'll listen to these guys do a routine or something and they, they wanna get out there and they just call like crazy and I mean the reality of it is usually, you know, very little calling is all you need to do. Yeah. And and you know, Tim I've even I've heard Bill say this and Tim would say it all the time. Um, you know, it takes, it, it just takes a little bit of calling to get the birds. You don't want to be out there yodeling all the time, you know, and, and just hammering on them. But, um, yeah, I mean, if you, if you watch a good caller, I mean, you watched grounds. I've, I've, I've been with Bill a bunch of times. I've been with some great callers. Like if you just watch them, I mean, I, I've hunted with Fred and Fred is, Fred Zink is incredible at putting them on the runway and what i mean by that is fred is the best at centering them up he watches them and if they they start drifting a little bit then he hits them hard gets back on you know the flight plan of where he wants them to be so they come in at the exact place that he wants to kill them and that's what i said that was that was buck on a duck call fred is like that on a goose call and he knows what to do when knows when to shut up, but absolutely knows when to hit them and what to hit them with to center them up and get them in. So, I mean, I've been you know, fortunate you know enough what? to, and, to and see and those guys. I, I don't want to interrupt no. you there, Mario, but, I'm, you know, for these young guys, the only thing that's going to teach you that is hours and hours yeah. and hours and hours in the field and yeah. watching birds and yeah. seeing how they react to what you're doing. I mean, there's no shortcuts to that. I mean, that is all time in the field listen and if listen if if the worst thing out of all this is you gotta hunt more and learn <laughs> are you kidding me <laughs> i'm in you know uh, yeah, what i mean it's like i say man 50 some <laughs> years and I'm, I'm still learning and i that's why i love it so much it's it's friggin awesome yeah i mean listen if, if you're in this if you're into waterfowl and you think you know it all man you're you're missing it because there is so much stuff that happens daily uh, that if you just pay attention, you just suck it all in. And it could be something really small. Like you said, I, I, there is absolutely stuff I am still learning. And if if I knew it all and it was so easy and I would just go out every day and just kill them, it wouldn't be any fun at all. You'd, you'd get bored with it. Right. You'd, you'd get bored. But right. every day is a different day, and uh, and that's what that's what makes it so cool i think god is there is there a ground story that that sticks with you well yeah. you know i mean a, there's there's a ton of them you know what <laughs> i mean the the one story that that i that's you know real special to me because it was that very first time i ever hunted with him and hunter right and that was up in alberta and um 
and the, you know, we all got in, um, like Ron and I got in kind of early up there where we were hunting. Did you fly and in? Tim and Hunter, you know, of course they had to fly in. Okay. So you and, so, you and, uh, Ron drive? We drove okay. up there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Go we ahead. got up there earlier in the day and then those guys flew in and, you know, they rented a car. And so that night, I mean, I was already in bed when Tim and Hunter got there, so I didn't even meet them that night. Right. So I met Tim and Hunter Grounds 4 o'clock in the morning, you know, and getting ready to go out to our field. And, you know, we just shook hands and and, uh, and jumped in the rig and went out. And, um, you know, got, <laughs> that was early in, you know, the video. And not a lot of people were videoing back then. And right. Ron was doing the video and me, Hunter, and Tim, um, we're going to do the shooting and the hunting and we got out in the field and hunter i think was 12 at the time and oh my god and the very first bird that came, it was a single and and tim said well hunter take that bird and he shot the single and then um right after that a big flock of geese i'm i'm seeing like probably 30 40 birds come to our field and you know we're all calling and and we got them right in over the decoys and they just happened to bunch up right when we said take them and sat up and three shooters us three we sat up and we dropped 13 geese <laughs> train <laughs> wreck it's on that and it's on that i don't even remember what that video was called mario i, I was don't it remember I... what it's called but you know it's uh um one that final approach i think it was the first final approach video okay and anyway oh ron played it in slow motion he was putting numbers by all the birds oh. and, and i mean that's that's <laughs> when you know that's when our friendship was just bonded we all just loved that hunt and had such a great oh time and, you know i had a great time that whole week up there and and um yeah i'll ne i'll never ever forget that and i mean shit all the goose hunting i've done never done that with three guys again right right listen on on the on the opposite side i i'll never forget um the first time i go to video with buck gardner right yeah. and we're in montana and and we go and we find this like mega field i mean it's like we drive in and all of a sudden we get permission and it's this it's this uh cornfield high high stubble and you drive in and all of a sudden you, you, we're driving to the center of the field where we need to be and you see all these goose heads pop up and i'm like holy crap <laughs> there was more than we thought that was in there right so then the geese start lifting off and then we didn't even see the ducks and i was like oh my god so i'm i'm like i'm out of it right i'm uh, we get set up as fast as we can Buck goes, parks the truck, comes back. We jump in the blinds. We get ready. And and at this point, I'm just like, I mean, I have seen like a pile of birds before, but I had never seen anything like that. It was, there had to be like five to 7,000 birds total in there. And it yeah, was. Something and you'll never forget. Blew my mind, right? So we get in and the first bunch of geese come in. And I, I think it was, I think there was five shooters, Right. And a group squares up, and I'm on the right side. I'm on the end, and Buck says, kill him, and we stand up, and, like, two birds get killed, right? And, <laughs> and I don't know. I don't even know what I was looking at or doing, or I was still, like, 
like out of my mind from seeing all the bur- I don't know, but all I remember is Buck like like he is hot. <laughs> he was pissed, huh? And he says, he said, "Listen. If we're shooting video, you can't do that." And I was like, I was like, "Holy crap. Like this just got real serious." And yeah. and I was like, "Okay." And I I like snap out of it or something. And like, like the next group comes in and we pile them up, we pile them up. And then like somewhere down the line. So my redemption is down the line, like four or five birds come in and they skirt us on the right and Buck saying, kill him, kill him. And nobody stands up. And I open my blind at the last minute and they're right off my right corner. And I shoot once and three dump out of the, out of the group and, and are down. And you hear Buck yelling, that's a triple. That's a triple. <laughs> and at, oh, at that great. point, at that point, I was like, oh, my God. Like, he's not on my ass anymore. Do you know what I mean? Because I was so yeah. scared that. <laughs> you redeemed yourself there. That's awesome, man. But, I, but I'll never forget that because it was like, this just turned, like, real. Like, this just turned into a job. And for real, like, I got to get this done. So, well, that's the thing, you know, that, God, you throw a video camera in I the know. mix and, um, you know, it used to drive me nuts because we'd be out scouting, you know, driving around right. and, um, and I'd, you know, you'd find these hunts that I would do in a heartbeat, but, oh, there's no place to hide the camera. Well, who cares? Let's go shoot those keys, I know. you know, but it was always about getting the video, but you know, I mean, you, you spend a lot of money to go on those trips and everything and, and those guys, uh, you know, they need that video for. Yeah, for, for their business, for marketing, but, right? Um, for work, there's no doubt. I mean, you know, they were, they were in, you know, the, the final approach videos and the stuff. You know, it, it it helps grounds in that deal. It helps everybody else that goes on those hunts. It helps their businesses. It helps push the correct. name. You know, yeah. even the even the outfitters at the time. If you went with any outfitters and you know you gave them a plug or whatever, that was a big deal. So I mean, it was the yeah, it yeah. was the changing. It was like the changing of the guard on the on the the marketing side, you know what I mean? Cause nobody was really doing that. And then all of a sudden everybody was in, you know, Yeah, there's, there's no shortage of them now. That's for sure. No. I know. Um, I know, I uh, gotta think it was, it was pretty early in uh, final approach career too. But, um, uh, again, it was me, Ron Hunter and, and Timmy grounds over in, um, we were in great falls, Montana, oh. and we we're going to do a goose hunting video over there. And, um, you know, by this time I was friends with Tim and, you know, it was, it was kind of cool, uh, you know, seeing all the, all the bands and everything that Tim always had on his lanyard and even oh, yeah. Hunter had a lot of bands on his lanyard and, and, you know, that, of course that, you know, everybody is pretty proud of their bands and everything. So, so when we were getting ready to do that trip and getting ready to drive over and meet those guys in Montana, me being a machinist, I came up with a good idea, you know, to prank old Timmy. And I ended up getting some three-quarter inch aluminum pipe, and I made 360 bands that looked just like goose bands. And we were driving over there, and we're stringing them all up. And, I mean, it was... I've seen that picture. I mean, 
it just looks stupid having it around your neck, you know. So the first morning we get out there to do our hunt, and oh my God. Um, Hunter and Tim are putting their guns in their blind and shit, and I come walking out there with all them bands on it. I thought Tim was going to fall over <laughs> his blind. And God, we laughed and laughed and laughed, and that's when he started calling me the band man. And, <laughs> Uh, we had such a fun time with that man but uh, oh my god i i know that picture that's oh my god that's funny that is too was, good it was a good time it was you know all the trips everybody was always trying to screw with i mean ron latshaw is uh, that guy's always trying to screw with you yeah the prankster yeah oh, the prankster yep. man i remember i was i think it was that full moon fever i wasn't on that hunt and but I'll never forget the story about they were in a motel over there and Ron cut up an onion and put it in Tim Ground's pillowcase <laughs> in, in his bed. And Tim, you know, I mean you, you do a pretty good impersonation hey, of him, but he got up and he was down, and he was bitching at the bitching at the front desk, you know, hey man, there's something wrong with my bed. I mean it's it stinks. <laughs> And shit, again, Ron said that he went down there three or four different times wanting to know what the hell was going on. And it was oh old Latshaw putting cut-up onion in his freaking oh in, in his pillowcase. And, God, I laughed my ass off, and I wasn't even there. Listen, t- <laughs> Tim Tim was the epitome of cool. And here, I'm going to give you this visual, okay? It is uh, the Oregon Waterfowl Festival, so it's summertime. It's June. Um and we're staying at the little hotel in St. Helens. Uh, and it's like uh, a, a motel, right? Yeah. And, and we had got, like, Tim was there and a couple other big names were there. I don't know if Stahl was there. Bill I think was, Kelly Powers was there. He might have been at that one. So, here, so here's what I do. I get up and get ready in the morning. And I gotta, I gotta hustle my ass over to the festival because I'm, I'm volunteering, I'm on the board, whatever. I'm going to help. So, I, I get out and I shut the door of the motel and I look over, and there's grounds standing outside, and he's got boxer shorts on, a wife beater tank top, right, and he's smoking a cigarette, right. And what do you think he says? He goes. Hey, Bob. <laughs> and, I, and I'm thinking to myself, I don't have a camera. I don't have a camera. Like, I don't even know if cell phone cameras are like a, a thing at this. I don't even know. All I could think of is I see him leaning on the post, and it's like a picture that, that you would paint, and I am just carrying that with me like my whole life because I, yeah. I just looked and I go, that's Tim. The epitome of cool and just, oh, my God, I laughed my ass off. And, of course, I get to the festival and I go, guys, you are not going to believe what's what I saw this morning. And, I mean, that circulated so much. And everybody everybody that heard that was just dying because they could totally picture it, you know. I got a picture of him down at oh, the uh, waterfowl. I think it was a different year because we were down there. I think we were all staying at Pete Marcanis's Duck Club oh, yeah. the, that year. At Deer and, Island. Um, and anyway, yeah. God, you know, I mean, you know how we partied down there. I mean, we all tied one on. And, God, the next morning I get up and I'm walking out in the kitchen. There's Tim standing in the kitchen, and he's got no shirt on, and he's got these stars and stripes sweatpants on. And, man, I had a 
thumper of a headache, and I said, man, I got to get my camera. And oh. I went and got my camera and took a picture. I'll send that picture oh to you. God, I still got that. it, man. Oh, and, my God. And, uh, I mean, it was just, that was perfect Tim Grounds. I think I sent that to his mom, and and uh, I said, you know, this is this is what Tim Grounds was to me. I mean, That's just right. A, that's right. And that's yeah, that's the thing. I love every, the guy, man. That's the thing. Everybody, everybody who met him, everybody who hung out with him, everybody who hunted with him, met him in the show, whatever. Everybody, I guarantee you, has a story. You know what I mean? Yeah, that- exactly. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I got. I mean, I remember when we were up in Alberta. Um, I think it was that first hunt, and we were, Ron was wanting to do some, um, you know, oh God, talking about the hunt and stuff like that. So. He, he puts me up there and I'm talking and, and, uh, Ron's got the camera going and then I'm, I'm trying to be serious, you know, right. and talk about what we did and everything. Right. I look up, there's Tim bent over with his <laughs> pants pulled. <down. laughs> I mean, God, it just totally wrecked everything, you know, and, but he was, he would always figure something to screw you up with. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. One of a, listen, when you said one of a kind, you weren't playing. I mean, that's truly what it is. And listen, he he had touched so many people and has touched so many people that that hopefully that everybody takes a little bit of Tim and like, you know, takes it forward and, and passes it on and, you know, and does that with it. So that that that's the only thing I could say that that we can all do to make him proud. And you know what I mean? And, and keep I that think going. So too. And I think Hunter's uh, doing a great job yep. carrying on the company and. And, um, I, you know, I don't, I, I, God, I just don't think that he's ever going to be forgotten. You no, know? there's no way. There's no he way. Made, just a special individual. A splash yep. in, in this, in this, uh, sport. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. Well, listen, we, we've BS'd enough. Uh, we got some great info, got some great ground stories and just, I, I, I mean, I still got some of my drink left, Mara. You well, sure you want to quit? Well, I don't know if you keep going on that drink, we might get the ground stories that you can't tell. <laughs> Cause I know, listen, I know I got a couple and I didn't travel with them like you did. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. I'm glad, uh, God. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. You know, I mean, they're, that's the thing that was so cool about, you know, all that stuff, you know, and those festivals and everything. I mean, yeah. I, the people that I got to meet, I That's just, right. you know, and I always, I always think about that. I thank Ron all the time about, you know, if it wasn't for me meeting Ron, I wouldn't have met guys like Tim Grounds, right. Fred, and, you know, Zink. And I mean, and one of the best guys we never even mentioned, you know, probably the nicest person I met in the industry was Randy Bartz. I mean, yep. that guy. No doubt. Was, is a hell of a person no doubt randy bartz uh give you the shirt off his back but i I, nicest man in ever uh great hunter great knowledge but i will say this about randy bartz he is always g'd up his hair is perfect oh jesus i know it his hair is perfect he's got his gold chains on he's got his gold rings on if you saw him in las vegas you would be like, you'd be like, hey, I wanna, I wanna place a bet. <laughs> like Randy yeah. is the oh. slickest cat that you ever saw. You know what I mean? He was, he was definitely slick Willie. Oh man, no doubt. I love, I love me some Randy Bards, <laughs> no doubt. Listen, there's been a ton of guys like you said. There, there's, there's guys that just touch you 
and you learn stuff from and you just look up to them and respect them. Doesn't matter if they're older than you or younger than you. You just look at them and you just you learn something from them and you took it with you and you just pay homage to them and 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 appreciate that you know you learn something from them and you just take your hat off to them you know what i mean well yeah there's a lot of talent out there for sure no doubt there's no doubt duke i appreciate it buddy great conversation thanks for coming on thanks for the ground stories thanks for all the info and and your look into you know it's a final approach in the history and, and and a part of it and listen i i i told ron this and you know, everybody that was close to the brand and, and, you know, the only thing that we're trying to do is we're just trying to get it back to what Ron's vision was. And it's really just about making quality stuff, great prices, and just making stuff that waterfowlers need. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's all that's, we're trying to that's do. That's really cool. I'm really glad you're doing that. And they, they couldn't have picked a better guy to do it too. And, um, and if you ever need any help with anything, you let me know. I will, bud. I appreciate it. Thanks for the time, Duke. Appreciate it. Thanks. Enjoy your drink, Thanks buddy. Thanks for having me. All right. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Good night. All right. Thanks. Duke LeVan from up in Washington, uh, a huge part of, of Final Approach, and it started, and, 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 and just traveling with Tim Grounds and all the videos and everything at that point, Duke was so vital in that, that part hanging out with Ron Latshaw, hanging out with those guys, putting in input on the products, and just just an incredible waterfowl mind and an incredible guy and the nicest guy you ever want to meet. And you could always, I mean, heck, you if you saw Duke on the street somewhere, you just start talking, hunting, and he's in. You know what I mean? You don't, he doesn't need to know you from Adam. So I love him for that, and uh, glad, glad we had him on. So that's another... Uh, series that's another episode i should say in the series of uh the history of fa and kind of going through the the progression of it and it's been pretty great so far so hope you hope you guys are enjoying it and gals and uh appreciate it want to give a shout out to uh all our partners that everybody that helps us in the podcast and the rest of the year and that's the guys at weatherby uh federal ammunition roger sporting goods and of course uh, Rob at Ranchland Outfitters and the guys up there in Alberta. So appreciate everybody listening and checking us out. I'm Mario. I'm out.